The Glue, the podcast about business development, marketing and communications in professional services. Welcome to a new podcast called The Glue. I'm James Stringer, the former BD director and now trainer, consultant and coach on business development, bids and offsites. This podcast is called The Glue because I think BD, marketing and communications teams in professional service firms are the glue that holds the whole thing together. The Glue, the podcast about business development, marketing and communications in professional services. So welcome to The Glue. I'm James Stringer. This episode is about public relations or PR. For professional service firms, this means enhancing the positive coverage they receive in target media or avoiding the negative. When I became a BD director, I quickly realised that managing and senior partners really, really care about the publicity they and their firms attract. They want their firm to be talked about and they want to be quoted or interviewed. Why is this when client interactions with individual fee earners are much more influential to clients? How should we engage with both international and trade media? How should we set up a PR campaign? And what should you do if you have a crisis that needs management? To help me answer these questions, I'm joined by Claire Rodway and Campbell McElroy. Claire Rodway is Managing Director of Specialist Legal PR Agency Kaizen, which she founded more than 20 years ago after 12 years in-house in law firms in marketing and comms roles. She's therefore been promoting lawyers and legal businesses for a very long time. Welcome to The Glue, Claire. Thank you very much, James. Campbell McElroy has 20 years' experience advising complex multinational businesses on communications and content strategies in the finance and professional services sectors. He's currently Director of Global Communications at Grant Thornton International and previously worked at Allen & Overy, Fitch Ratings, and before that, he was a business journalist. Welcome to The Glue, Campbell. Thanks, James. Great to be here. Okay, so we're going to start by talking about the benefits of positive PR. And Campbell, I'd like you to consider and perhaps share with us your thoughts. Why are firms and managing partners so obsessed by coverage in the industry or national media when I think clients' perceptions of firms are frankly more influenced by the people they work with? I think the simple answer is because it matters. And and no matter how much your clients think they know you, it is a business relationship. And when they see a headline that you know, is at odds with that perception they have of you, it is that thing of, it comes down to perception and perception can very quickly shape reality. The other reality for those senior managing partners is it can take up a huge amount of management time to fix things when things go wrong. So having a team of people who are professional and capable and able to keep on top of managing that reputation, as well as the people within the organisation understanding the importance uh, of managing that reputation is incredibly important for business because, you know, I think Warren Buffett, there's been many versions of this said that, you know, it takes 20 years to build a reputation of five minutes to lose it. And if you think about it that way, you'll do things very differently. Uh, it really sort of puts a spotlight on why it's important. And Claire, as an agency, clients come to you for many reasons, but one I suspect is is that they want to get more coverage in various different media Why do you think that they come to you? Well, one of the things I wanted to add to what Campbell was saying is there's a very simple reason why press has an important role in a communications mix. Of course, you're right. It's 
people's relationship with fee earners and um, other professionals in the business that that matters. But firms want to talk to people beyond that, the people that don't yet know them. And that's a very simple reason why press is so important. One of our clients, the marketing team, they talk about a funnel and they um, explain to the partners the various strands of their marketing program starts off with reaching hundreds of thousands of people through the press. And then maybe through events and conferences, you're, you're meeting thousands and then your own events, you're meeting hundreds. And then you get down to the tens that you might invite to a round table. Um, and then you've got the one-to-one relationships that you have with your clients or with small teams in client organisations. And so if um, I hope your listeners can visualise that a funnel sort of going down, yes, it does come down to one-to-one relationships, but you, you're you putting things into the funnel at the top with that broad um, outreach through the media. So I think you're both being very nice here. This is this not just bragging rights, you know, down at the club or, you know, when they meet in a bar, managing partner meets his peers? I think it's both. I think you definitely get the halo effect from it, you know, and again, all those touch points that Claire was talking about, you know, if you've got the halo effect of those great stories and what an advertising world has described as post-purchase assonance, that, you know, you see the ad for the car you've bought, you see the car you've just bought driving down the road or when you're shopping, it's the same thing. You've hired a lawyer, accountant, whatever it might be, and you see, hey, that's my guy in the media talking about important stuff and it carries that halo effect. But equally, at each of those touch points that Claire talked about, you go to a client meeting, you go to a conference, if there's a bad headline, and the one thing everybody's asking you about is, so what's going on? What's really happening in your business? Again, it's you're, it's taking air away from the things you want to talk about. Um, and I think particularly in a world of ESG these days where the, the reputation and the perception of a brand of an organisation is it the type of organisation that cares about the right things, is doing the right things, is so much more important. And even if your client knows you really well, if your client's boss is turning around and going, I'm seeing some headlines about this firm you're using, is this the type of organisation we should be associated with? Those conversations, I think, do carry more weight these days. I also think if you're pushing me to say something negative, James, I think there's a defensive reason for doing PR Mm. as well, because client relationships, uh, even very, very strong ones, that they're not happening in a vacuum. You'll have rival organisations snapping at the heels and just trying to get in there. And um, so if there's an issue being discussed in the Times newspaper and the law pages, for example, and your rivals are commenting and saying intelligent things and you're not, you're, you're leaving yourself a bit open there. So is it possible for those firms outside the very largest uh, to get traction with key target media? Um, a lot of what we do is thought leadership Um um, I often describe it to lawyers. It's it's a thought leadership piece in the press is the closest that you get in professional services to having a free sample of something. Remember those sachets of lotions that are sort of pressed flat between the pages of a magazine. You can show off your expertise and rather than just talking about it in a press release, you might say you have that expertise, but a thought leadership piece, you're demonstrating that expertise. And also, if you're clever, you can show a bit of personality, you can give a sense to people of what what it might be like having a business relationship with you. 
Um, so we do a lot of thought leadership. Now, the big surprise is we our routines in the morning, we're pitching out on the breaking news curve and we've got a team at 10 at Kaizen where all of us are very attuned to what the big stories of the day are. And we are pitching to try and get our foot in the door really quickly because there's a lot of really good legal PRs in town and um, in-house and at other agencies. So we want to be first with the opportunities. So we pitch out without even naming clients and saying such and such is in the press today, puts the spotlight on the issue of would you like somebody to talk about sort of the finer detail of that or the ramifications for other businesses. Um, and we do that so that we don't have to delay the process in asking for permission, making sure clients are happy. So we can't do in their name and uh, even national press will commission pieces from us because we say we've got a lawyer who um, and and I'm explaining that to demonstrate that it's not the firm's name that actually gets those opportunities it's the quality of the thought and the contribution you're offering and what that means is that regional firms niche firms we can get them into the national newspapers as long as we're clever about the topics the things that are right strategically for them to be talking about and finding that sweet point where it's what's keeping readers awake at night so we can offer something valuable Campbell we were talking recently you shared a story of a quite large team who were not getting coverage in the national press. How did you have that discussion with them to move them on from that? The partners wanted to put the classic press release out saying, I've done a deal. Um, so we, we sent it out. It didn't get much coverage. I didn't expect it to. So in that case, I just tried to turn the conversation and said, look, I, I think what you're really asking is how, how do you increase coverage for your group? And in my opinion, a press release about a deal you've done is possibly the worst way to do it. So we can talk about that or we can talk about the thing I think you're asking and that just helped change the conversation. But that highlights, I think, the opportunity for some of these smaller firms. Like I say, in in deal flow, when it's a rumour, that's when the press want to be writing about it. Now, if you're a lawyer or an accountant involved in the deal, you can't for client confidentiality reasons. But if you're not involved, there's a great opportunity for you to come in and offer commentary on, okay, this is how this deal might play out. Here's some of the tactics the clients or the advisors might use. Here's some of the hurdles that might have to overcome and some of the tactics they might use to get around them. It's a great opportunity there, I think, for people to go, we've got someone who can give some commentary on this deal and how things might go. So that's how we can help smaller firms. Claire, do you have an approach at Kaizen whereby a firm comes to you and says, I want to get more traction with a particular trade press or media how do you go about that? We do a lot, as you would imagine, in, in the trade press. Um, it's a very important place to be seen. Um, we have a process at Kaizen, which is a always, um, I, mean, I, I will say you can sum up PR strategy by asking three questions. Who do you want to talk to? What do you want to say? That's your key message. And for what purpose, which is actually the starting point, is what is the what is the objective, the business objective behind your request for PR? Um, and everything else flows from that. That will lead you to the media that, that you need to be working with, which will be the most influential and best reach um, for that audience. And Campbell, thinking about Claire's structure there, thinking about setting up a, a PR campaign as a non-pr person where should you be starting i just i might go back to the point on the trade press because i think i think it's such an important thing and in, in my opinion that's where 
people should mostly be focusing. And I think the structure Claire talks about is spot on. I always start with your audience. And one thing I always used to say to partners was if I gave you one publication that your clients, the people who pay your bills, actually read, where would you want to be seen? Um, and in some of the practice groups, you then end up with very niche publications like James Transport Finance or Air Finance Journal or something bizarre like that or um, Project Finance Magazine, things like that, because that's what people in those industries read to get their market intelligence and insight, to see the deal flow that's happening and see what the trends are. So understanding those publications and having a PR team who have relationships with those publications understand what's going on. Uh, and, and just as Claire says, then, you know, relevance. What's, what's going to keep people awake at night? And it's usually going to be those two emotional levers of either greed or fear. They're worried they're going to lose money or lose their, their marketplace with competitive standing or there's an opportunity for them to make money. And, and it sounds very base, but those are the two easiest triggers to pull on from an emotional point of view. So understanding what those drivers are in the market that those people who read those publications are going to be focused on or worried about or thinking about and then what is your message that you can bring into that I think is the approach that I would take. But trade press is always where we've had the greatest uh, greatest impact. I, I think that's right. I think also if you think of um, – the num number of times you see on a firm's website, they talk about um, understanding their clients' commercial objectives. They will put themselves across as being steeped in a particular industry. So they really understand the client's issues within that industry. So you need to be seen as part of that world as well. So that's another reason it's important to be regularly in the pages of those uh, top trade magazines. So, Campbell, reflecting on the three-part structure for a PR campaign... Which do you think is the most important of those? I, look, I completely agree that it's a place where you're going to have great um, great input and great cut through. I think one of the biggest things is planning. You you really do need to be spending time on planning and as we were just talking about more generally in media relations, what's the objective? Why are you doing this? I think some people just you know, pump out content for the sake of having content. Thought leadership requires those two key elements of those words. You need thought. You need time to think about what's important to your clients, why it matters to them. And leadership, you need to be taking a position, just pointing out that something's happening. Okay, so what? But but why is that going to have an impact and what, what do you think that impact is going to be? Another thing I think people need to think about is timing. There's, there's been times in the past when team members say, we've got this great campaign and then they try and pump it out in the middle of reporting season and – you know, your corporate journalist at any wire or national publication, you go, look, we're, we're covering the markets today. There's just no room for anything else. No one's got any resource time to do anything. I don't know why you think you're going to put something out today. Equally, you know, major events happening in the world. You know, if you're trying to put something out ahead of a major political event or, or during a major political event, you're probably not going to get coverage because people are going to be focused on the politicians and what they're saying. Having a good understanding of whether there is any media interest in the topic, you don't just wait to the day that you're going to pitch in your or launch your campaign to be talking to the media about it. Um, times I've done campaigns for a month before we've been out talking to the media, saying, look, something coming, it's going to be roughly this, do you think that's of interest? And that sometimes can help guide your decision as to whether you go with an exclusive or you're going to do a broad release because everybody goes, that's brilliant, we love it, We can we have it? You know you've got something interesting. Whereas if, yeah, I'm not sure, maybe not, if, if you know, there's not as much interest, 
in what you or your partner or someone has thought is a great campaign, then the offer of an exclusive might get the ball rolling um, on, on the launch day. So again, planning, careful preparation, understanding that landscape, both from what's happening in the world and also the media interest before you get to that launch point, I think are incredibly important. I couldn't agree more. We did pick up a campaign that had gone horribly wrong with another agency, with a law firm, where they'd spent nine months. They had spent nine months planning, but they hadn't talked to any journalists during that nine-month planning process. And they'd spent huge amounts of money. They'd done a Mori poll at huge expense. And then they found no one was interested in it at all. So we were given the job. And how we did it was we we said, well, we can get you 10 pieces of coverage on this. And we actually pitched out 10 thought leadership pieces. And then we didn't even mention the survey and the study. <laughs> but we thought we know we can get some thought leadership pieces on these themes. And then as, we, as the articles were written, we re- reversed in mention of the study in paragraph two. Um, so, but that was um, a real lesson. It was just painful to, to see what had happened there. So yes, engaging with the media as you go, absolutely vital. In fact, a lot of the time what we do, and sometimes to manage a client's expectation of how much interest is going to be, is we'll recommend that we do a study or a survey with a media partner. Now, sometimes you pay for that, but sometimes you don't have to pay for it. There's a very natural overlap, which works really well in PR, between what keeps a lawyer's clients awake at night and what keeps a magazine's readership awake at night. They, they are the same. So it's about finding that sweet spot. Um, and if you hit on a really good topic um, that a magazine is interested in investigating and getting to the bottom of sometimes they will give that time as free editorial but you can access their readers they will do a poll with their readers sometimes if the engagement with the survey is is not perfect and the numbers aren't as high as you want if you've got a media partner on your side they'll keep pushing it and pushing it in their news pages until enough people respond so you're reducing your risk and when we talk about planning how about measurement how do we define success Oh, that old, it's, 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 I think one of the biggest debates, I think, in the PR community. When I first started, people used to do the classic advertising value equivalent, which has been roundly panned. And it's, it comes back to that objective. What are you actually trying to achieve? Who are the people you're trying to get to? And are you getting the coverage in the right media? Um, and these, I think, is a lot easier as well. I mean, some of the great results has been one radio interview. Um, you know, the partner in the way back from a taxi gets a phone call from a client going, I just heard you, this is something we're talking about. Can you please come in and talk us through what you, you guys are seeing? That's the best result you can hope for because it's a direct link to uh, to a result for potential work. Other sectors have a lot easier measurement because they can see a, pro- a share price go up or down. Professional services, it's a lot harder. So on a broad level, I've always focused on how much of your coverage is on target versus off target. That means you need to know what your target media are first. Um, but you're, you're mad to do a campaign without some measurement. So that's the end, part one on PR. Thanks to Claire and Campbell for now. Join us for part two to discuss crisis management and the value of media training. Goodbye.